Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Good morning and welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast. On today's show, we're going to talk about an investment strategy called direct indexing. The financial industry is never lacking in new innovation with its products and strategies that it comes up with. And some of them are ridiculous and we can quickly dismiss them, but there are others that have some merit to them. And whenever I look at an investment strategy, I want to look at its merits based on how can it benefit someone on the risk return spectrum. So with investing, we're always trying to either take less risk as the benchmark we are comparing ourselves against and achieve the same returns, or take the same amount of risk as the benchmark and obtain a better return. And we we obviously want to do all of this in the most tax-efficient way possible with the lowest cost investments as possible. And direct indexing is a strategy that can help us with these objectives. Before I go into the details of direct indexing, we're going to have to take a walk down memory lane and look at some of the trends historically with different types of investments. In the past, advisors were called stockbrokers, and the reason being is that they sold investors individual stocks. When someone had a brokerage account, they could look at a statement and usually see, let's say, 10 to 15 stocks in it. There was a lot of transparency in what stocks they owned, and the stockbroker had control over what and when, if there were any changes to the portfolio, what was bought and sold. But the costs were high as there was a commission of usually 5% that the investor paid every time a stock was bought and sold. And there was little or no diversification. So if one stock had a bad earnings release or something happened, it would be a big hit or an overall hit on the the portfolio. Usually they say if you want to do the whole individual stock investing, you probably need about 100 different stocks to truly get diversification. Definitely not with 10 to 15. So along came mutual funds. And what a mutual fund is, it's a wrapper on individual stocks. They're great for diversification because... With one fund, you could get exposure to over a 1,000 individual stocks. And the the mutual fund comes with a fund manager, which it does have an added cost, but the fund manager could decide when it's a good time to buy and sell any individual securities inside the fund. There are thousands of investors in mutual funds, and the decision the fund manager makes whenever he buys and sells something, it's based on whether they think it's the overall the right thing to do. Now, this could cause serious tax inefficiencies, especially at the end of the year when the fund distributes its capital gains. And I'll explain how capital gains with mutual funds work. And unfortunately, you could get hit with capital gains on mutual fund two ways. First, you could buy fund XYZ at $10 a share. Then let's say at some point in the future, you make that decision to sell fund XYZ. And let's say it's gone up and it's now $15 a share. And in that case, you would owe $5 a share of capital gains and have to pay tax on it. And whether it was long-term or short-term capital gains really depended upon if you held the fund one year or longer. So shorter than one year, you're paying short-term capital gains, which is at your ordinary income rate. And if you held it over a year, it's the capital gains tax rate, which could be 15%, 20%, depending upon what your income is. But the good thing is you control when and if and when you do sell the fund. But while you own the fund, the fund manager is buying and selling stocks that you have no control over. At the end of the year, you'll get a 1099 for your share of any capital gains that the fund manager accrued over the year. This you had no control over. And the capital gains can be significant, especially if it's a volatile year and the fund manager had to sell stocks to meet investors' demand, 
who want to sell their fund shares and get the cash back. So it's extremely tax inefficient the way the mutual fund works. So to address the tax inefficiency, we saw the birth and the proliferation of exchange traded funds, which are also called ETFs. And this brought the rise of passive investing. So where the mutual funds, they started out active, where that you have that fund manager who's you know, making those buy and sell decisions. Uh, the ETF, it's, it's still a basket of stocks and still pr- provides that diversification that the mutual fund did. However, the stock is based off of an index, which doesn't cha- change too frequently. Although, you know, you'll, you'll see stocks come in and out of things like the S&P 500. But because it's, it's passive and it's not changing too frequently, it eliminates that tax inefficiency and becomes a little more tax efficient. So the most popular index is the S&P 500, which contains 500 large cap U.S. stocks. And while companies do come in and out of the index, it doesn't change that often. So you can avoid that large unexpected capital gains hit at the end of the year that you don't avoid when you do have an actively managed mutual fund. I use ETFs in my portfolio all the time. And while some people, you know, it may seem simple and that you're just putting money into a passive index, ETFs can be used to generate some pretty complex strategies. And on one of the previous episodes of the podcast, I talked about how I use something called a factor investment strategy. And what that is, is it's a way that you can really customize what uh, tilts they're called to the, that you use to the portfolio. And the four most common factor tilts are size, quality, momentum, and low volatility. Depending upon where we are in the market cycle or business cycle, we would tilt towards one of those factors as one or more of those factors. As an example, so let's say we're on an upswing, we're in a bull market, we want to look at the size factor, which means we'll tilt a little bit towards smaller cap stocks, as well as the momentum factor. And what that is, that's more high growth stocks. And the reason for that is when, when the economy is on an upswing, usually the small caps will have a better growth pattern and, and the momentum stocks will than, let's say, the utility stocks or the telecom stocks. But vice versa, when we look like we're at a top or we look like a recession is coming or during a recession, we want to invest in the quality factor companies as well as the low volatility companies. Low volatility for the obvious reasons that they're not subject to as much market swings as we'll see in the size and momentum type of stocks. And then quality companies are great because they usually can ride out the recession. So a quality company is one that has a strong balance sheet, one that doesn't have an enormous amount of debt or whose revenues and and net income are, are more predictable than the growth companies who may be growing faster, but if they don't grow at the certain speed that they're expected to, those companies get crushed when a recession comes or when there's a downturn. So even though we can generate complex strategies, there's still a couple of things that a direct indexing addresses um, to even improve the investment landscape a little more. So direct indexing takes a lot of the good things about ETFs, which are low cost, diversification, but it adds that extra layer of tax efficiency by being able to harvest tax losses and to throw a little more customization on the on top of the portfolio. I hear a lot of people say that they don't like ETFs because you get all the stocks in the index, the good ones and the bad ones. And one of the things with direct indexing is you can have a strategy on how to manage those bad stocks or the stocks that don't perform well. So to explain how direct indexing works, again, we'll, we'll use the S&P 500 as an example. It's the index of 500 US stocks. And with direct indexing, Instead of buying just one ETF or one fund that owns all 500 companies, you actually, with direct indexing, buy shares of all the 500 companies in the index individually. So it's going back to that, you know, we talked about the the first type of investment strategy with the stockbroker, 
where you're getting individual companies. Well, with direct indexing, we're back to that uh, strategy where you're going to have individual securities in your portfolio. So if you looked at your account, instead of seeing one investment in this S&P 500 ETF, you would see all the individual stocks listed. It's great for transparency because now you, again, you know what you own. But let's now talk about a little bit about the tax efficiency of it. So if you invest in the S&P 500 ETF, and let's say it has a 10% positive return over the year, that's great. But if you have to sell it or decide to sell it, you can only sell the whole fund and then you're back to having that capital gains tax that you own. But if we looked under the covers at all 500 stocks in the, in the S&P 500, we'll see that for the year, sure, there were probably a majority of those stocks that had a positive return, but there were probably a, a bunch whose stock price went down over the year. So when you direct index, you have all 500 stocks and you have control and can harvest tax losses in the companies in that index whose stock prices decrease. So a, a study calculated that, well, what's the benefit of doing this? Is there even a benefit of doing this? And just on the tax, what's called alpha or outperformance, it's worth 2 to 3% of the portfolio value each year. So it's a pretty significant tax savings or tax improvement by just using this direct indexing strategy and being able to harvest tax losses. So the tax losses that you can harvest, they can, can be used um, for a deduction, but they can also offset any other capital gains that you have anywhere in, in any other type of investment, whether it's stocks or some other alternate type of investment that you may have. In addition to the tax benefit we talked about, we'll talk about some of the other benefits that there are. And the first one we're gonna talk about is customization. Customization benefit of direct indexing takes a couple of forms. One, let's say you work at Apple and you don't want to be overexposed to having your job at Apple. You have some company stock in your retirement plan at Apple. And if you start investing in different indexes or different funds, most likely they're going to have a big chunk of it invested in Apple just because Apple is the largest company. And because of that, they get the largest allocation to a lot of these types of funds, whether it's a tech fund or even the S&P 500. So using direct indexing, you can screen anything out of your strategy that you want. So you can screen Apple out and you wouldn't buy any Apple in your investment account. Or let's say you want you want to do some of that factor investing that we talked about earlier and you want the growth potential that stocks provide, but you don't want to invest in those volatile growth and momentum stocks. So what you do is you can screen out those stocks or screen in and just make sure that when you do your investments, your quality and low volatility stocks are the ones that the, the types that you're investing in. The other customization is you can do along the lines of ESG investing. And I've talked about ESG investing in pr uh, previous podcasts. And using the ESG investing strategy allows you to invest according to your values. So it's the, you know, I guess the textbook definition is that it's the consideration of environmental, social, and governance factors when you build an investment portfolio. And the way ESG investing is becoming more and more popular, and it has a lot of momentum behind it, it's through ETFs. And the way it works through ETFs, to be included in an ESG ETF, the company must meet some certain minimum ESG rating score. And you have like these independent companies like Morningstar that generate an ESG rating score for each company across a wide range of ESG criteria. But the problem is now you're, you're getting this blanket ESG score for an ETF. And, you know, there's a lot of different factors or filters on ESG, and some one criteria may be more important to you than the others. So by using direct indexing, you can screen a company out or screen a company in 
to your portfolio in areas that are important to you. So let me give you a couple examples. So one is alcohol. So if you don't want to invest in companies that generate revenue from alcohol, you can screen them out. A couple other ones are animal welfare, abortion providers, adult entertainment, firearms, for-profit healthcare, for-profit prisons, gambling, genetic engineering, global weapons, nuclear power, lending practices. You can screen out companies that have poor lending practices or the, probably the most common one is tobacco. So like, as, like I said, as an example, if you select gambling as a screen, any company that derives revenue from gambling would be excluded from being purchased in your portfolio. The ESG component, it's another way of customizing the portfolio without compromising overall portfolio goals and growth potential. So the, another benefit of direct indexing is strategy replication. So as an advisor, I have different strategies that I like to employ. An example, you know, I'll go back to it again. We talked about the factor strategy or a sector rotation strategy, which is dependent upon what's going on in the markets and the economy. There are sectors that we think will outperform relative to other sectors. At a certain point, we may like the healthcare sector or the tech sector or industrials or utilities. And there's probably 20 to 25 different sectors. And what a, a sector rotation strategy is, is over month to month or quarter to quarter, we would shift in and out of different sectors or overweight different sectors that we think have a better chance of outperforming based on the risk that we'd have to take with that sector. There are some good mutual fund strategies out there. You know, I, I talked about the active manager buying and selling and using direct indexing, you can replicate that strategy for a fraction of the cost. Because uh, one thing that everyone forgets is, all these mutual funds, all these ETFs, they have these annual expense ratios associated with them. It all costs money that eventually flows down to the, the investor. Uh, direct indexing is another way that it allows us to employ a strategy replication way of doing things in a tax efficient and low cost manner. Then the last one I wanted to talk about was transition management. So a lot of investors have existing portfolios where they have investments that have a very low cost basis. And what that means is just maybe 20 years ago, you bought Apple for $3 a share, and now it's $200 a share. So if you sold it, you're going to get hit with that, that big capital gains tax. So you often get locked into that position, and you have to keep it, even though the position is bad. And I've seen this recently with one particular stock, GE. So GE was the darling of the market years and years ago, and then it went through or uh, what's going through years of, of really poor performance, but some people have had it for so long that if they do sell it, it's it's a tax hit. So they have to look at whether it makes sense to sell it or not sell it. And you know, some of the energy companies are another example of this. You know, at one point Exxon was the large one recent point, Exxon was the largest company in the world. Now the energy companies are the dogs of the uh, the Dow or dogs of the S&P 500. They've had multiple years of poor performance. So how does this direct indexing strategy work? And I wish I could say that I was calculating and managing all this by hand but I have an optimization engine and technology that, that helps me. So the first step is we look at and we decompose different risk factors, and that's really how we come up with this customized target strategy. And like I said, it may be that we wanna optimize against one index or a blend of different indexes, and then we can decide what filters to employ, what do we wanna screen out, do we wanna use ESG screens, do we wanna filter out certain sectors, like I mentioned the energy sector, maybe we say, oh, demand for oil is less and less, we're generating more at home, less dependent upon foreign oil, and we wanna just exclude the energy sector in everything that we do. So we can do that, we can exclude individual stocks, or we can even filter it to the level of themes that, let's say we wanna invest in just companies whose revenues are growing at a certain clip each year, 
or are raising their dividend each year. And you can really, that's that's first step is really customizing the strategy, determining what we want to do. Then what happens is the, the end optimization engine I do, it, it actually tailors the portfolio by looking at performance, risk, and tax efficiency around that strategy we created in the first step. But then the portfolio gets executed, the stocks get purchased, the, you can see what's in there. And then it's not just a set it and forget it, it gets optimized again when it becomes out of balance or when there's an opportunity for it to, to optimize. One of the things that I'm a huge proponent of is rebalancing, which is a strategy to maintain that target strategy that we create. And we do that by periodically buying and selling securities in the portfolio, which in turn, we buy and sell securities to get back to that original strategy. So in turn, it forces us to sell things high, buy things low, which is counterintuitive to a lot of uh, the behavior of investors. So it's a it's a definitely a positive strategy. And direct indexing isn't really new. It's, it's an improvement on the two strategy we talked about. It's that transparency of control that you have that that stockbroker used to give you by picking the individual securities and also the proliferation of ETFs. You get the low cost, you get the diversification as well, but it adds that customization and adds that tax efficiency on, on top of it. And really, it's like I said, it's not a new strategy. And what's allowed direct indexing to really gain momentum recently one of the things is the removal of trade commissions. So last year, or late last year, Schwab announced that they were removing the $4.95 that they charged investors per trade. And quickly after that, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, and a couple other of the brokerages followed suit. So $4.95 doesn't sound like a lot, but if you were using this direct indexing strategy that we're talking about, and let's say you know to set up the portfolio, you were buying 200 different individual stocks, it would cost $1,000 just to set it up. So now you can get that benefits of the strategy that we talked about, and it actually costs nothing since there's no trading cost on any of this. And even though the annual expense costs on ETFs has been going down recently, there is still a cost to them. And depending upon the size of the portfolio, it can add up pretty quickly. So basically getting the benefits of direct indexing with a cost of zero. And the second thing that's really allowed it to gain momentum is the development of the AI or the artificial intelligence engine that can help take a strategy and deconstruct it to create that customized and optimized portfolio. So prior to the advance in this this type of technology, a lot of the portfolios were constructed by hand, which leads to inefficiencies, errors, and doesn't scale. So like with everything, we're seeing you know these technology advances that allow us to do a lot of things that we were never able to do. So you know to, to close out this episode, I'm a subscriber to the Japanese principle called Kaizen, which is continuous improvement. So I'm always looking for ways to improve and add more value. And I believe direct indexing is a way of, of doing that. And while it seems complex and that you're adding hundreds of securities, it's really a controlled strategy and it's one that does provide a lot of benefits. So if you would like to see if direct indexing can help you, can benefit you, I'd be happy to talk. And you can call me at 862-205-5800, email me at mark at or set up a free consultation by going to my website, bowdusfinancial.com. Thank you, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.